All right, so um, we are going to uh, begin from last week and the uh, scandal of particularity. Now, why in the world is that? Well, there's a famous section in the Mere Christianity where uh, Lewis kind of lays out Jesus is either this lunatic, liar, or his Lord. And that begins kind of the particularity of the, the Christian gospel. Now, why is it a scandal? Well, it's a scandal because, uh, well, because that's the word in the Bible. Call me crazy, but I like, you know, I like to listen to the Bible. So, although it's not translated often that way, but it's, uh, it's from the Greek. Anyways, the, um, the passage I read in chapel, which was a long passage, uh, also adding to the fact that we got it pretty late, was from John chapter 8, and for, so those who were in chapel, you heard it, but those who weren't, so... John chapter 8, Jesus is uh, in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, this is after the women caught in adultery. But Jesus is talking about how the truth will set you free. And those around them say, hey, we have never been enslaved to anybody. We have Abraham as our father. And so Jesus goes off and says, well, you really, your, your father isn't Abraham. Because if, father was your Abra- if Abraham was your father, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. Already, this is important because Abraham is mentioned. Abraham is part of the particularity of the Christian message. God created, obviously, this world. Not another world, this world. But he chose a particular person, and that would be Abraham, which, of course, then is a particular people, Israel. So, but, so this, is, this is all part of the, the, the narrative in John chapter 8. So the next thing is, is that... Uh, You'd be doing the works of Abraham, which are basically the works of God. And, well, they don't like to hear that, right? I mean, they're thinking that they are doing the works of Abraham, but in fact, Jesus lays it out and says, you're, not, you're doing the works of your father, the devil. Oh, well, I was wondering, did he mean follow me? Because Abraham followed without questioning. Okay, so, yeah, that, so that would be uh, all part of the subtext of what it means to be a Christian. Yes. So, yeah. It's the same difference, right? Um, okay, so so uh, so that of course no one likes to hear that their father is the devil, and uh, you know that would probably get us going too if someone said you, your father is the devil. So um, they say, well, now we know you're, you're a Samaritan and have a demon, lunatic. But oh, I'm sorry. Just before that, Jesus says the father of lies is the devil, and they are liars themselves. So, but he's but they say no, we're not you are basically. So, lunatic liar and of course now why is he a lunatic or liar because he claims to be God. And when he says I am in that passage is that the same as saying I'm Yahweh? Yes, that's exactly right. So, so it all comes up to this point where he says before Abraham was I am. So he makes this declaration that he is in fact Yahweh. In the flesh. Now, of course, how do they react to this? <laughs> well, not just that. They what? They pick up the stones. They want to kill him. So this is the scandal of the particularity within the Christian uh, message. And what, what we, so we have a, a society that loves to talk about God in general, but when you start talking about specifics or particularities, then things get a little... Um, 
And so this is where Lewis is getting to the point, is that basically you can't be a Christian and kind of be okay. Jesus doesn't allow for any of that, which goes to Marilyn's point about following. You either follow Jesus or you don't. Now, again, how, what that looks like in terms of following takes all different kinds of images, and we've maybe talked about that before. Uh, the one that I really appreciate the most is in the Gospel of Mark, where the rich young man actually goes away, but it's not the end of the story because he comes back into the story. Well, that doesn't mean he wasn't, I mean, that could also mean that not only did he stop following Jesus and he came back following Jesus, but maybe he went to the end of the line and he was following Jesus the entire time, but under struggle. And, and So anyway, so when I say, so Jesus basically says, you have to follow me or not. I mean, there's no kind of like, yeah, maybe you can follow me. But and when we see that later on in the one chapter about, uh, was it temperance? Temperance also doesn't mean just alcoholism, but also golf mania. I, I, I think I read down golf mania and whatever else mania, right? Bridge mania, that's right. Okay. So, so what, you know, this is important for us to realize is that um, there comes at a point in time where we have to say something that's particular, very particular. And the biblical narrative, that's just how the Bible talks, okay, or the message of the, of the gospel and the Bible itself is that there is a universal plan, but it's, it's, it's carried out in particulars. It's really important for us to understand. So it's not as if being particular is necessarily not for everybody, okay? I know there's, it's somewhat of an ironic reality, but this is as Christians. So we have this again. God chose these people, not those people, but that doesn't mean that those people are outside his plan. Or God doesn't love them. He just chose this particular people to carry out his plan, Israel. Of course, then the church now. Uh, God, God uh, came in this man, Jesus Christ, not, you know, some other man. You know, Hinduism, you know, about, you know, the different reincarnations of the, whatever that guy's called. But, um... So, so, and then, of course, Jesus makes these claims about, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the... And that, I mean, that doesn't encapsulate the entire meaning of that text, but it also includes that. So, um, so, so it is a scandal. I mean, there comes a point in time where people will be saying, wait a second, are you saying this? And, of course, we say, yeah, you, you, Jesus is the way to the Heavenly Father. He's the, he's the beings. And so... Um, for as much as we want to, oh, okay. So hang on. So if it's hard to remember, I'm sure. But way back when, Lewis also said, "What there's truth, all truth is God's truth, right?" So there's truth in these other areas of life where maybe you don't have a lot of Christians. So you might find some truth within Islam or, or uh, you know, even atheism or whatever. But that doesn't get you to the point of where Lewis is today. I mean, in, in the today's reading, where it actually talks about the relationship between God and man. Okay. So that's where Jesus says, or Lewis says about Jesus, you either have to say he's a lunatic, which of course is what a lot of atheists do. With uh, you know, they, they you know, you're, you're you're an idiot if you believe in Christianity. You're you know, it's crazy. I mean, just look at look at the world. 
um, or a liar, which of course, which you know, a lot of people also say about, um, uh, you know, kind of Christianity is, um, you know, they're hypocrites or whatever. I mean, or you know, it's kind of Lord. So these are the things. And, and Lewis finishes that chapter. I think it's chapter whatever it is, page fifty-ish or something, where Lewis basically says these are your options. If you have, if you say Jesus is a just a great moral teacher, you basically are making up your own Jesus. Which, of course, you know, Depeche Mode had a great song about that. Personal Jesus. I love that song, by the way. But anyways, okay, Krista. Yeah. And you know, and in this way, but uh, um, you cannot cannot say if they don't accept Jesus, um, they are still a chosen people. Well, well, okay. So, so now, yeah. So now, this is a whole other ball of wax here. But the yeah. the reality, though, is is that. So let's think about in terms of the Christian message. There is no Christianity without going through the history of, of Israel. So, but the thing is, though, what makes a, a, a what makes a Jew, right? And actually, that nomenclature, you know, we use it okay today, but that's not actually biblical. I mean, Jews is used, but the word in the, the New Testament is Judean or Judean, specific region. And it was, you know, it was kind of derogatory towards this group of people. They necessarily didn't self-identify themselves. That's a that's a tangent, but I think that's important. Anyways, so the whole point is that Jesus is is saying, which, uh, where does the history point to? Where is it going? Right. So you do have in John chapter eight specifically, you have these two particular histories now, and Jesus is making these claims now. So I mean, to a certain extent, you know, if you want to use the word, if you want to, we're all we're all Jews now in a sense. I mean, I say that kind of teasingly, but the fact is, is that our history now is organically and specifically tied to the Old Testament. That, that's our history. That's not just, yeah. So we are Gentile, but we, be, we become now part of that family. So we are children of Abraham, yes. Yes, we, and that's the whole adoption that Paul talks about. But it's valid. I mean, it's it's true. So, the, the, yeah. Anyways, so yes. So now we have a whole other question, and that goes to what Lewis says. I think I can't remember if it's in this chapter. It's somewhere in my outline, where we have this constant question about other people. But you know, before I believe in Jesus, I need to make sure about these other people. And Lewis says, well, God doesn't actually talk about those other people. He's only he's really talking about you. And of course. Uh, I, I really enjoy that quote because I always I have to remember that because I, I get that question a lot from everybody. Well, what about those people? And frankly, we we don't know because God doesn't really say. Oh, so the two objections at the end of uh, our first chapter from today's reading: uh, what are the arrange, What are God's arrangements for other people? Well, God hasn't told us those arrangements, but He's told you the arrangements for you. But in the meantime, if you're worried about the people outside, the most unreasonable thing you can do is to remain outside yourself. Right? 
and, uh, and, and especially, so Lutheran theology, this is, again, I, I, I use the large catechism today in the outline quite a bit. We're not going to read all those quotes, by the way, but that's just for you to ponder later. But small catechism, again, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago in the explanation to the creed. It's very, God has made me and all creatures. God has saved me. God has sanctified me. There is no world without, I mean, your world doesn't exist if you don't, you're not in it. So in, in that frame of mind, Lewis is really basing that, I mean, his whole discussion is based on that. How, you, uh, your questions about other people are mute if you don't exist, if you aren't within the salvation plan. I mean, it's just, it just it's common sense in a sense. Okay. So that goes to Chris's point, too, is that we have a lot of questions about the history, and, and so what's their status as the ch- chosen people, right? Um, and in John chapter 8, so the question would be, are they still God's chosen people? Well, yeah. I mean, they're still part of that history. However, the question then is in terms of, well, what, if they don't believe in Jesus, are they, are they going to go to heaven? Well, I, I don't know. Do they need to believe in Jesus? Well, yeah, because that's what the Old Testament confesses. Yeah, I mean, so think about it in terms of the New Testament and the witness that they talk about. What are the scriptures of the New Testament? The Old Testament. So you have all the early apostolic preaching based on the Old Testament. So that's why, I mean, that's why if you want to say Jews need to believe in Jesus because that's what the Old Testament says. Now, of course, they won't, you know, some people won't say that. That's your, your, you're uh, Christianizing the Old Testament, where I would say that's, that's, exi- that's precisely the argument that's being made in the Gospels, in the, in the Epistles, and the rest of the New Testament. So, okay. Um, but that, again, that's a particularity. Meaning, Jesus comes and says, this is how you read the Old Testament. You, can, you know, you, you don't read it that way, you read it this way. Okay. All right. Oops. So, um, all right. Okay, so now we have the practical conclusions of this particularity. If, if, if uh, the scandal particularity means, then God works in particular ways. And what are the three ways that Lewis brings up? Baptism, belief, and the Lord's Supper. This is really helpful for us. And as Lutherans, I mean, this is, this is, like, you know, this is like hitting softballs over the fence. Because we should be like, yeah, of course. The, uh, the thing, though, is, is that... Um, so Lewis doesn't get into any too, he doesn't get too much into the <laughs> doctrines, right? You know, he says, my Methodist friend would prefer if I talk about belief more than baptism and the Lord's Supper. But I, I think what he does is, is pretty brilliant in terms of uh, the, the human condition. But, Holly. I, I was surprised by this chapter because I thought, you know, a lot of um, evangelicals love C.S. Lewis. Yeah, right. But he baptism and the Lord's Supper, I mean, belief, of course, everyone has that shared, but, like, how, how they can resonate with him when he says that very thing, because that's very much what he's saying. Well, it's sacramental, it's, it's sacramental, right? I mean, basically, I mean, Lewis is, he, yeah, he believes in the sacraments. I mean, the, the thing is, too, is that how, how he says is, how is the Christ life put in you? How is this communicated? Baptism, belief, which of course for him 
belief is is uh, is a um, it, it, he, I think he defines it a little bit later in terms of like mental like knowing basically um, it's not like the content of the belief like the like the, the creeds or whatever but um, and then of course then the Lord's Supper so that is very sacramental and what Lewis does though is well first of all he articulates that in terms of grace right these things are God's actions to put into you and then enable you to live, so Christ's life living through you. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. I think I put that on there. And I did give that little quote about, which echoes from last week, the Heidelberg Thesis, number 28, which, by the way, that number 28, I think about all the time. That uh, I quoted there, the love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. I mean, that, that's, it's like early Luther, early Reformation period, but I love that stuff. That, that's premarital counseling right there. Actually, we, we talk about that quite often, which is this tangent. But anyways, okay. Um, okay, so how does God make us good, if you want to use that as a, as a breaking point, or how does... Uh, or as a foundation or jumping point, that's what I meant to say. Um, or you can talk about it, how does the Christ life, he, he uses this term, Christ life, how does that get into you? And baptism, belief, Lord's Supper. And what's interesting is the emphasis on the body, the material aspect of our Christian faith, the tangible, touchy aspect of it. Um, this is really important for us for a variety of reasons, but let's just kind of explore that a little bit. So he, he uses the, well, first of all, he uses somewhat of an explicit analogy about, like, why God does what he does and what's his, uh, how are babies made. God chose that, it, whatever. In the same way, God chooses this to make Christians. That's just the way things are. So his whole, his whole chapter is very physical, I mean, this is, this is not a, strictly speaking, spiritual faith. Okay. So, all right. So he uses the analogy about how the body repairs itself, the Christian repents, um, and how baptism and the Lord's Supper communicate to the body and the mind. We uh, oftentimes think about our Christian faith not embracing the body, but we have to understand it that way because that, the way the Bible talks, and um, uh, that, that's, the, that's what the sacraments do. So this, again, this is very particular. So you have some Christian denominations that actually don't believe this. So there you go. Okay. But one of the things, though, is that, so just to kind of talk about this. So you have baptism that happens. Baptism gives the gift of salvation, puts the name on the child or the adult, <laughs> Uh, uh, it, it bestows the Holy Spirit, like Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit comes down. There's a union between Christ and, and the believer. What's that? Cast out the devil. Yeah, right. So it makes room for the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Now, the thing is, though, in the large catechism, there's a really great discussion about what baptism does and how it's received. And faith clings to the water. Okay. It's, there's a physicality to this. So your body receives is, is a means in which faith is received. And that, that's important for us. So it believes that's a baptism. Um, and then he talks about those 
He calls them mad people and are would-be wise. These are all sarcasms. So I don't want to read it too literally. They're like, well, these people aren't really wise if they believe that. Um, so I, I highlighted that. So now they are, it's the bottom of that first page. They are so mad as to separate faith and that to which faith clings and is bound. So what happens, and so what Lewis is trying to do is making sure that faith has something tangible to cling to. Something external that comes to the Christian. It's not something the Christian tries to muster up from the inside and come, come out. It's this external reality that's put into you. And that's, that's some very simple and very, again, material. I mean, it, it's very concrete. Krista. Uh, uh, Pastor Ness, I think it's wonderful how, how it, he phrased it. Christians are physical organisms through which Christ acts. They are his fingers and muscles, the cells of his body. That's right. I think that's wonderful. Well, and so what Lewis is talking about is, is that that's not just a nice analogy it's not just a nice picture, although it is a nice analogy, it's a nice picture, it's wonderful, but there is also the reality to it that this physical body is made up of physical people that does physical actions in the world, that shows love in real concrete ways. But the, the way faith is communicated, we often think about it in terms of thinking. So, we, so you know, because... We, uh, we learn the Bible, we have Bible study, there's so much emphasis on the life of the mind that we sometimes regulate the life of the body to a secondary position. But in this chapter, he, he really tries to uphold this reality that we are physical people. We're not just minds walking around. Our faith is not lived in between the ears, but through the hands, through the feet, just like the image that he uses. And, and the thing is, though, is that this is what we believe about how faith is communicated in the first place. And if you don't understand in the first place, then things will happen later on. There will be ramifications of your belief system. And this is where um, this happens in other Christian denominations, where there's a heavy emphasis on the, li- the living your faith between your ears. So you, how do I know you're a good Christian? Well, you believe the right things. And belief is strictly mental. Well, how, how, do, how does, so let's ask, John the Baptist gets some disciples, and they come to Jesus, and they ask, uh, you know, are you the one? So what does Jesus, Jesus, what does Jesus point to, to show that he is the one? Tell them to go back and tell them what they've seen. What they've seen. Does he go and talk about the Trinity? He does he actually, it, not, I mean, that's not, I mean, I'm not downplaying Bible study or... <laughs> I'm not anti-intellectual. In fact, Lewis brings that up in the next chapter after this. Um, but the reality is, is that how do, how do, how do you, how, how does one, the, you experience the Christian faith in, in, in things that are seen, life that's lived. Okay, well anyway, so baptism is, is a big deal, uh, but it, so faith and the external reality are always connected. And when you have uh, people who separate this, and basically Luther calls them mad or crazy to do that, when you separate your faith from the external 
reality, then what is your faith believing in? Who, who are you left with? Well, oh, yeah, that would, that's the extreme. I, I was thinking about just first order. If you don't have someone telling you, someone speaking, the authority that Lewis mentions, whether it be speaking or baptizing or giving you the Lord's Supper, who are you left with? Yourself. And there's a good amount of Christians who really live their Christian life on their own steam. They've got to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. And, and they really, really are trying their best. But they need to be filled up. They're, they're, as Mary said earlier, their toilet tank is empty. <laughs> they got they got, they got a flush of the crap out of their life. <laughs> okay. I had an argument with our son, and, um, and he said Jesus didn't baptize babies, didn't he? <laughs> well, Jesus didn't baptize anybody because if Jesus is with you, do you need baptism? No, because he's right there. Okay. So, so the idea, so once Jesus ascends into heaven, things change. Okay, so Matthew 28. Go up on the mountain. Okay, I'm, you're going to go now. He's, I mean, he's going to be ascending. This is what you're going to do, baptize. Now one has to say, baptize all nations. Are babies included in, well, all nations, all people. Peoples. It's not... When we hear nations, we think governments and you know political systems. Jesus is using the word peoples, so it's people. So okay, so who's included in peoples? Everybody. I, you know, this is something where it, it's so the idea that again. So now we have separated faith from the thing, and we've made faith a mental construct. Meaning, if I know the right things, then I then I'm then I'm part of the Christian life. Rather than saying, I'm a Christian because of what God has done. God has baptized me. He's acted on it. Now, of course, people will say that, so, but of course then other Christians will say, that, yeah, that's absolutely right, but the one way that God does put himself into you is through his word, right? In order for the word to be received, though, one has to understand it. And of course, understanding then comes later, because you know, I, I, they would say that an infant doesn't understand. Although I wouldn't say that, but that's that's how I grew up. So, so it's not. It's so you're not downplaying. So it's not like they're like not Christians. It's just that they're excluding uh, two ways that the Christ life is put into you. Yeah, Nancy. Right. I mean, and that was the eighth day, but that's... I knew you knew that, yeah. Right. Well, there's, there's a lot of issues going on here, and not, not to bring up a, a, a related topic, but MMRs, right? The vaccination for your children. There's plenty... Yeah, I know, I know this might be a touch of topic for some people, but parents make choices for their children all the time. Um, yeah, because that's just the way things are. And, uh, you know... I just, uh, you know, it's, I mean, so you make, you make choices for your children that are important all the time without asking them. And then for this one thing, this one, this one part, though, they, they, they just decide, well, I'm going to let my child 
decide. And that's not just for Christians, though. That's for like other. I mean, so I have uh, we we've had some church visitors, and they uh, hmm, I think they're Christians, but um, they're uh, deciding they're going to let their children decide how they're going because they're from two different faiths. Actually, real faiths. I mean, deciding for them that way, mm-hmm. really. Okay, that's the irony of ironies, right? Okay, good. Thank you. You figured it out. Okay, good. Should have just said that. Yeah, every decision, whether it's a non-decision or a decision, makes a decision for your child. I mean, that's just kind of common sense. So you just have to be comfortable with it. As parents, again, this is one of these things where you are making your decisions all the time for your child, and you do your best for your children, and at the end of the day, you have to say to yourself, I'm, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with these decisions. So, you know, I mean, so whether it be... The only way they could let them make it themselves without making it for them would be as if they took them to Lutheran Church once and Catholic Church the next or whatever. But you're still making a decision for them, right? You still, I mean, there's... Oh, which, okay, by the way, so this goes on to later on Lewis's point. This is good. So we are not individuals. There's this whole... Re- the bolt fo- formation that he... Great image over the band plane... There's never a point where there's just one boat, and our life is that way. And I, uh, so there's those three levels of the morality, um, harmony, harmony between individuals, harmony within the individual, and then like harmony with purpose, I, 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 you know, a purpose in life. So the idea that you can, uh, those, that, if, if you actually think that's true, then there is no individual unto itself apart from others, meaning there's never a point where you say, hey, I can do this because it's only, only affecting me. There's a, it always affects other people. So we can get to that in a little bit. All right, anyway, so, so baptism is all about the body and the faith. The Lord's Supper is the same way. Um, you know, we uh, at St. John, we changed our blessing, our dismissal. I don't know if you guys noticed that before. I think we changed it last year after John Kleinig came. Because the Australian Lutheran Church, they changed their dismissal to follow uh, some old, uh, older Lutheran uh, doctrine, which for many of us, we probably haven't even noticed because we already believe this. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in body and soul. And we changed the body and soul because... Um, all the way up through the Reformation period, up through to uh, late 1600s, early, I think, I think Hollitz was early 1700s, emphasized the bodily effects of the Lord's Supper. Uh, it wasn't until a little bit later in Lutheran tradition, up through the 1800s, that that, that basically was never mentioned before. And it was because of this concern that hey, if you're emphasizing the bodily effects, where is the faith involved in this? As if I, if I just go to the Lord's Supper, I'll be healed. So there's this nervousness about ex opere operato. Just by doing it, it works. But of course, faith clings to the external thing. Faith has something to cling to, whether it be the external word, the, the, the well, as, uh, as I say to the children, the wordy water, or the, uh, the, the, the fleshy bread and bloody wine. So, the, um, 
This is important because even in our large catechism, it says that the Lord's Supper is a remedy for soul and body. And this will come up later as we talk about morality because how do we, how, how do we put ourselves into harmony with one another, ourselves, and understand our purpose? And Luther specifically uses those three categories as it relates to why you go to the Lord's Supper. So, the notion, so back in the Reformation, people didn't go to the Lord's Supper a lot of times. That's where he, Luther says, somebody was asked, how do you, you know, what's the right amount of going to the Lord's Supper? Well, in, in the large catechism, Luther talks about it as if it's happening daily. But he says, if you don't go, so it happens every day, but the, not everyone receives it every day. He, he says, well, you're, you're probably a Christian if you go at least four times. If you don't go four times a year, then you're probably not a Christian. It was just this off, offhanded kind of comment. Like, I don't know. It was kind of like, stop bothering me. Okay, I'll give you an answer. So, so the, but, the, but the point is, is that um, this, this, uh, so Luther will, uh, so there's this thing about like, well, how, you know, what if I don't feel like I should go to the Lord's Supper? So Luther's like, first of all, he goes, reach inside your shirt, make sure that you, you still have, you, you still have flesh. And then if that doesn't work, ask your neighbor. So you, you, you find if you're, if you're in harmony with yourself, if you have a body, you're not in harmony with yourself. If you really believe you're in harmony with yourself and you still don't feel like you don't need to go to supper, ask your neighbor, and your neighbor will tell you, take a look at the world, okay? Things are out of order. There's violence and all hell breaking loose. Okay, and then last but not least, you go to the Lord's Supper because the devil's a liar and the devil tells you that you don't need to go, <laughs> which would be the purpose of why you exist. I mean, I, uh, uh, so... I'm uh, skipping ahead a little bit, but the reality is is that um, the Lord's Supper and, and how Christ is put into you directly affects not only your own soul, but your entire life around you. So this is a great thing about the communication of Christ's gifts through your body. Uh, it, 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 so, it, it, you know, through your body to your heart, if you want to use it that way, through your ear to the heart. It, it's, it's, a, it's a great physical reality because... There'll be times in your life where, right, you don't feel like it. Or, or you're wondering if God is present in your life, or if you're going through these desert periods of your life. I've heard people say that before. I've had those extremely extreme versions of these. And one of the great things that got me through it were, in fact, what? The sacraments. Every Sunday, touching the water, Reminding me of the baptism. How do I know I got baptized? Well, I got wet. But with wordy water. Uh, not just regular, not bath water, but with wordy water. And how do, how do I know that Christ is with me and in me? I just asked the confirmation kids the other day. Last, this last Sunday, and they're like, this is a stupid question, Pastor. You just ate them. I mean, it was like, so like, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm, I'm giving this impassioned speech about, like, you know, <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. So, um, I'm like, you might not feel it now, but you will later in life, and you need to make sure. Okay, so, the, uh, the reality is, is that um, y- you ate him. He's in you. I mean, 
Now, you might not feel it, you know, you might not feel it, if you know what I mean. You might not feel it, but you do feel it. I mean, because you, you touch them. Um, so this is very important for us as, as we, as we kind of then begin to think about our faith in relation to others. So those who are, if you want to use uh, Lewis's language, if you're out of harmony with one another and yourself, the Lord's Supper heals that. Because it's not only in communion with God, but in communion with one another and in communion with who you are. So that's why Luther always talks about running towards the sacrament. Okay. Um, as I thought uh, that we just had only four or five times a year um, uh, in our church, and what, what was always uh, <coughs> a little bit uh, hesitant for me to take the, uh, um, the Lord's Supper, I'm worthy. Right. Well, how do you know if you're worthy, though? Small catechism. How do you know if you're worthy? Well, because you're a sinner. I mean, it, it, it completely turns it upside down, right? Where you go to Lord's Supper because you're a sinner, not because you're good. Which is very important as we think about the Heidelberg thesis, which I, I, don't, I, I know uh, we, didn't, we didn't spend any time with it, but this, this thing is love creates what's lovable. And so... We go to the Lord's Supper because we're sinners, and Christ is 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 uh, saving us and, and and changing us. And now the thing is, though, is that yeah, okay, great, okay. Um, oh, 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 great. So this is really important for us too, is because this is very un- unique to Christianity because there are faiths who don't uphold the body, and I use the word Gnosticism, which is like total nerdville, but. Um, Gnosticism, there's a Christian version, but just kind of generally speaking, it separates the body and the soul, or the body and the mind, where the most important thing is is that it's your, your soul or your mind, and heaven is disembodied, you know, people. And, and you, you know, you, I hear that in language, people, when people die, their body's here, their soul's in heaven. It's not actually what the Bible says, but... The Bible talks about people, people being in heaven, but people are people. You're a person. So if the Bible talks about people being in heaven, then it would be a physical person. And what's great is 1 Corinthians 15, I just quote the one verse, 44, but the entire chapter is about the resurrection. Paul talks about the perishable must give way to the imperishable. And Paul says... A spiritual body. Now, for us, for many people, we just kind of we think, oh, it's a spirit. But the word body it, it entails what? Physicality. So, the spirituality of the Christian faith is, strictly speaking, it's it's a physical piety. It's it's a it's a tangible piety. So th- this is uh, so this is something where um, this is great hope for us, especially if our bodies are broken. Or, I mean, I always think about this too, is that God loves us the way we are. You know, whether you're six foot two, muscular, um, you know, with a 5% body fat, or if, if you're not. 
you're five foot ten and a half and not those other things. <laughs> so I, you know, I always think about it in terms of that. Like this is this is God's embracing me the way I am, and this is good. I really, I really, I really. I know that sounds somewhat strange, but this is true. Um, okay, and then I quote everyone's favorite movie, Vanilla Sky. There at the end, before we get to the next one. Don't you know that your body makes a promise whether you do or not? It's a terrible scene. You don't ever want to watch it. But it's a movie about the body. It's very, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the whole point is, is this is a true statement. Your body makes a promise whether you like it or not. So we have a, uh, people who don't like their bodies in a variety of ways, whether they surgically change them or, or they just you know, hate them because they don't look the way they want them to look, yada, yada, yada. The Christian faith embraces all the uniqueness of us as people. And um, God's always changing how we understand uh, who he's made us to be. So this is important too. But anyways, uh, which goes later on, where there's no self-made people. You, know, you always hear the self-made man or whatever. That's, that's not true. Eberhard Jungel, everyone's favorite theologian, um, has a great essay on becoming human, and I, th- I, I quote a couple passages from that. He's a German, so you know Krista can probably correct me on how, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Eberhard? Is that right? Eberhard? See, exactly. Jungel? 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 How do you say? I don't know what page it's on. Maybe it's on the last page or something. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Eberhard Jungel. Jungel? I think there might even be an umlaut, but I don't know how to put that on my computer. Yeah, okay. Okay, anyways, um, he, he, uh, he's a very interesting man. Okay. Oh, so the two objections, we already kind of talked about it, but uh, why did God invade in disguise? Why didn't he just be out in the open? Uh Lewis is, uh, I never really thought about this, but it's a great point, is that, well, if God came, uh, you know, plainly, then our world would all be completely different. It'd be like, um, it would, it would exi- cease to exist as it is. So God comes as we are in order to establish uh, this freely coming. This, it's a sign of freedom towards God. And then he, I think he has this, uh, it's no use saying you choose to lie down when it's become impossible to stand up. I think that's great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen. That's right. So that goes with that parent discussion, too. Whether we realize it before or not, now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. So we don't, we don't want to exclude ourselves if we're at the door. All right, so the physicality of our Christian faith, I think, is very profound. It's wonderful. It goes to who we are as Christians and as people. It redeems every aspect of our life. And that, strictly speaking, is very particular to the Christian faith. Uh, Islam, you've got to get your body in check through good works. Um, there's different faiths that will just say the body doesn't really matter. All you've got to be is, you know, um, uh, trans, transcendental meditation, 
in a sense. So there's no action. But um, okay. Just think about that stuff, because you, you, I mean, I see it all the time. I'm always like, oh, they, yeah, that down plays the, the body, up plays the spirit. This is all, this is nothing new under the sun, by the way. So this was very common in Jesus' time. And if you really want to enter into Nerdville, you can read uh, Irenaeus Against Heresies, where he treats at length. Uh, Gnosticism, the demiurge. Okay, but that's if you want to if you want to stay in Wheaton, Illinois, don't go there. Just if you want to go into Nerdville, then you can read that. Okay, the morality, the three things, and uh, this is really I I, I found this very helpful, and uh, I quote some uh, movies here as uh, the harm. Okay, so morality does three things: harmony between individuals, as I said before, yada yada. But let's kind of explore what it means then. If you have harmony between individuals without harmony on the inside, um, I just watched this movie the other night. Holly went to bed early, and I was like, I'm going to watch this. Because it's a movie she will never ever want to watch with me. It's called Snowpiercer. It's a, it's a strange premise, strange premise, but one of, one of the, so anyways, um, but part of their whole society is order is the barrier that holds back the flood of death. We must all, we must all of us on this train of life remain in our allotted station. We must each of us occupy our preordained particular position. So uh, it's the end of the world, post-apocalyptic. Rather than having a flood of water, it's all ice. And rather than a boat, they have a train. But things, things are not well inside. Uh, there's perfect harmony between individuals, but not perfect harmony, harmony on the inside of the individuals. Everyone has their particular place. Everyone's in the right order. But, you, I mean, you know not everything's right. They got it. They got it. Well, okay. Anyways, so there you go. That, I, thought that, I, I thought of that when I watched the movie. I'm like, hey, that's just like, uh, so. Um, oh, yeah, can morality work when the world is filled with only individuals? No communities. Of course, you would say no, right? Yeah, but, but think about the ramifications of what that means then, even within American society, and even the way we talk about relating to one another. I don't want to be a burden on someone. Okay, then, then, then don't have friendships. Be alone. This is really, this is, I mean, the, that's the ramifications of that thinking. I don't want to be a burden, so either I'm going to tell everybody what to do, which, of course, we all like those people, right, that tell us what to do. Or we completely isolate ourselves from anybody. Relationships, and especially friendships. This is, I didn't, I didn't talk about this because I had written this already, but the, the thing was is that um, you can't have any friendships with that. And that's why a lot of us might not have friends. Ah, what happens if you can't? Then, you then who carries it? Ding, 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 ding. Okay, good. So this is the point, though, is where you get to the point where you, you need to ask for help, but we decide we're not going to. That's usually when you don't want to be a burden, it's at that point. Although, I mean, when I ask, when I talk with people who are older. Yes. That's right. We should not be afraid because it's normal. 
that, that's the whole point of my discussion is that it, we always are related to people in a way that uh, they love us by loving and supporting us. And asking, what we see as asking is burdensome is actually just a more extreme version of what's already happening all the time. My daughter told me it feels good to do something for you, Mom. That's yeah. Which, of course, you know, that's what you exist to make sure your children feel good, right? <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm totally joking. But it's true, though. It, it's true. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's one of those strange opportunities as a parent that you get to show. So not to get on a tangent, but this is something, too, about growing old. I think I might have mentioned this. I know I've talked about this before, but my conversation with my grandfather when he was concerned about being a, a burden and convection, I said, Grandpa, stop this. You've got, you got to show me how to die well. So it, it's one of those things. So, ironies. Well, yeah, community is a gift. You mean giving and receiving is a gift? Loving and being loved? Allowing someone to do something for you. Right. Allowing someone to do something for you is... Oh, yeah, selfish, stealing. The opportunity Yeah. Right. It's, say, it's putting my wants, my needs, my whatever, mm-hmm. saying I'm more important than you. Yeah. And, now, it's, and it's, 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 yeah. Well, and the thing is, uh, there's always the opposite side that, that Marilyn was kind of hinting towards about carrying your backpack. Yeah, okay. Then there's the opposite side where people don't do anything and are, yeah, okay. I mean, but most of the people I talk to who would say, I don't want to be a burden. It's usually because they've done everything for everybody else, and they don't want to do. They don't want to have people do things for them. Okay, all right. Uh, harmony between individuals with purpose, but no harmony on the inside. Oh, the bothersome man. Great movie. Norwegian movie. Fascinating movie. Everything is perfect. Harmony between individuals. You have an. You have a, a reason to exist. It's great. I mean, on the outside. And then all of a sudden this man, the bothersome man, starts asking questions about all this because he sees someone impaled on a, uh, uh, a wrought iron fence and there's this, this cleanup team that comes within like a minute. He's like, well, that, that was weird. Okay, anyways. Uh, harmony between individuals and harmony on the inside without purpose. The great George Lucas movie, THX 1138. And his wife slash, this is how he describes what we would say is his wife. What am I to her or she to me? Nothing. She's an ordinary roommate. I I share rooms with her. Our relationship is normal, conforming. We share nothing but space. The reason why they're harmonious on the inside is because they take drugs. That keeps them in order. Okay. All right, the reason why I bring those up, though, is, is because we see facets of all these, these, th- these three things. Some are happening okay, some are not, and then there's uh, many times all, hell, all three of them are all going berserk. So, um, but the thing is, though, is that we have to, to talk about this in terms of, like, what's the point of Christianity? Thinking through the ramifications of belief, whether it be Christianity, Islam, atheism, materialism, or make it up as you goism. Um, and I think that's important because we don't, we don't take time to really reflect upon 
our faith in this in this terms, but um, because or else we put it. I got we got to stop talking. But the is that um, or we put our point in terms in the wrong places. And I quote this thing from Jungel there about how Luther talks about even the devil has a good time, laughs. Uh, you know, hangs out with his buddies and laughs and has a good time. Which, of course, hey, this guy seems like he's fulfilled, right? He's living a good life. Look at it. He's having a good time with his friends and laughing. Well, what's the fundamental problem? Well, he's the devil. <laughs> yeah, so um, so we, we put, put it on the wrong emphasis and then the whole notion of uh, the self-made person. If God has made us, none of us are self-made. And if God has made us, then there's certain purposes and point and points to our life that are are actually in our bodies, in our DNA. It's, it's who we are as people. And Luther, of course, when he talks about the Lord's Supper, the three things that put into harmony are the the, the thing, the means in which God puts things in, in, into harmony, or, or uh, helps you live a what Luther or uh, Lewis would call a moral life is in fact. The, the Lord's Supper. Um, okay, anywho. I don't know. We'll just keep reading. I, we didn't talk about the cardinal virtues, and but I, I, I like that discussion. But I think, I think uh, we can probably just pick up with the next section. Uh, how do you like the book? Do you find it interesting? You know, I, I have read this before, but it was like when I was in my 20s, Years and years and years ago. Those were the days. I uh, thought, I forgot how much fun it was later, because at the beginning it's not very much fun to read that to me. <laughs> As he goes on, it's much fun. Right. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.